Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, Todd Friel continues to show Jesus throughout the entire Bible, and Pastor Larry and James Collins will take a look at today's headlines. We are only eight days away from the start of our first ever virtual prophecy conference. Online and on demand, all access passes are available right now. Register today by visiting our conference page at our website, swrc.com, or simply call 1-800-652-1144. Todd Friel is back today to continue looking at Old Testament stories that point to Jesus Christ. We are back with Todd Friel, one of our speakers at our virtual summer prophecy conference. There's a question that I want to ask. I've been itching, I've been growling, I've been snarling. Here's the question. All of God's commandments are reiterated in the New Testament with the exception of the Sabbath command. So do we now only have nine commandments? Wow, you're looking for trouble, aren't I you? know. I'm going to get some calls on this one because I know what you're going to say. <laughs> yeah, you will get some calls on this. Okay, so for the people who are going to hear this perhaps for the first time, just hold your gunpowder, just keep <laughs> a try for a moment, and just consider the teaching on the Sabbath, which is not merely a Mosaic law command. The Sabbath picture is painted in a fuzzy way in the creation week. You see six days of God working, one day of rest. God didn't need to recharge his batteries. God was appreciating himself. And so God then models for us six days of work and rest. Apparently for no reason, God was enjoying himself on the seventh day of creation and the work that he had done. Well, cut to 1425 B.C., you see the Mosaic Covenant instituted and a commandment given about keeping a Sabbath. This was radical in the Middle East, because you work seven days a week. The Bible tells us that the Old Testament, the Mosaic Covenant, introduced the concept of a weekend by giving people a day to rest. What was going on? It was a picture. Hard work for six days, physical work, one day of rest, which should have caused the Jews to go, Lord, we need more rest. We need you, is what we need, because the Sabbath was a physical picture of a spiritual reality. Mm. And that spiritual reality is that Jesus Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath. And this is why we see Jesus getting into perpetual wrangles in the New Testament. The Pharisees highly esteemed the Sabbath. Jesus informed them, no, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And by the way, Colossians 2, uh, 15, 16, 16, 17, somewhere in that hood, talks about that the Sabbath was a picture, and that we're no longer underneath that law, because it was a pointer, it was a physical pointer to the spiritual reality of Christ. So this is what it means for us in the New Testament as believers. When we repent and put our trust in Jesus Christ, every single second of every single day is a spiritual rest. When we rest from our labors of supposed work righteousness and we put our trust in the righteousness of Christ, then every single second of every day is a rest. That's what the Sabbath prefigured. And that's why, Larry, you bring up that the New Testament doesn't include the Sabbath commandment because it was fulfilled in Jesus. Yes, 
Yes. I think often of Hebrews 8, 7 through 13, yep. when he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. And so whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. So the old covenant is no longer in effect. We have a new and better covenant purchased and mediated by Jesus Christ. And I think if you take a whole view of the relationship between the Old and New Testament, consider Colossians 2, 16 and 17, and of course Hebrews 4, 9 and 10, I'm in perfect agreement with you. So are you saying that all of the commands are gone and we don't have to listen to anything the Old Testament said and that God's standards have changed? Is that what you're saying? Absolutely not. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 said, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And what that really means to me is that we have to understand the Old Testament in light of the New Testament and the fullness of the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. He's not simply a messenger from God. He is the message of God. And I think that's important. You also speak about progressive revelation, and I really believe in that principle, and I think Hebrews brings it all together. Yeah, the precepts of God never change. Moral laws are fixed, so we still don't murder but that, yes. by the way, that commandment, it's reiterated in the New Testament. Nine yes. of them are suspiciously. One of them isn't. So every Christian would do well to wrangle with, what do we do with the Old Covenant? And yes. I think you're exactly right, Larry. You read Hebrews 8, 9, and 10, and it's hard to see a tripartite system. It was the entire covenant. It has been replaced by a newer and better. But God's principles are still alive and well. Amen. Amen. That's beautifully put. But you talk a lot about Old Testament shadows. Don't let anyone judge you by whether or not you abide by the shadows. The reality is found in Jesus Christ. So tell us how the shadows, the typology works. And I know that's a big topic, but just kind of whet our appetites a little bit. Historically, if you take a look at the history of biblical interpretation in the first century, interpretation was really Christological. It was very much about Christ being Christ-centered, and I agree with much of that, if not the majority of that, because that's what the Bible is about from beginning to end. It's about one thing, Jesus Christ, his, yes. God's redemptive plan to save sinners. So they were very Christological, but as the Church started to get a little bit bigger and a little bit wonkier and a little bit more divided and separated, we adopted an allegorical approach to biblical interpretation. We decided that there's pictures all over the place in the Bible, so this represents that. Eve is actually a picture of the Virgin Mary. They would allegorize everything in a very, almost hyper-allegorical kind of way. The Reformers got away from that and said, hold on, we've got to be careful here. Yes, there are some treasures that are hidden. But we need to have some sort of principle as to how it is that we know that they are actually there as opposed to being man-made. And the principle is this. If the New Testament says that thing that happened in the Old Testament, that person, place, or thing, if the New Testament says that was a picture of Jesus, we know it was a picture of Jesus. And so we see Jesus himself saying that there's pictures of him in the Old Testament when... Luke chapter 24, the resurrection, he's walking on the road to Emmaus with two disciples, and he reveals to himself from the scriptures, himself he revealed in every book of the Bible. 
Jesus tells us that he's in the Old Testament, and he even sometimes told us when, for instance, when he told us just as Jonah was in the belly of the big fish, so too must the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth. So Jonah was a prefigurement. It was a fuzzy picture of a better reality in Jesus Christ. We know that there are types and shadows in the Bible because Jesus tells us so. Our guest, Todd Frail, is one of our speakers at our virtual summer prophecy conference, July the 30th through August the 7th. Anytime during that period, you can get the conference online. The basic price for the conference, $49.99. Now, we have a special package deal, unlimited access, July the 30th through August the 7th, plus the DVDs of all the sessions, plus a prophecy calendar and a select book, $79.99. Now, if you don't get the DVDs, the conference is no longer available online after August the 7th. So you'll want the second package deal. It's powerful. It's stuff that you can look at, think about, share with your friends, meditate on, and we'll invite you. We'd love you to come. This is going to be a really, really great conference. It's all online. You don't have to drive anywhere, fly anywhere. It's right in your home. Todd is going to continue speaking with us. Now, Todd, I want to ask you the so-called $64 question. You write this. Let me quote you and let me turn it into a question. Some people say that we go to hell because we don't believe in Jesus. That is not exactly correct. We go to hell because of our sins. It is the chief and greatest sin to reject Jesus, but that is just one of many, many sins, close quote. So what about those who have never heard about Jesus? Are they innocent and saved on the basis of their ignorance? Hey, that doesn't sound right, but tell me, is it right? No, no, that's not right. (laughs) Yes, right. The point that I was trying to make, you troublemaker, (laughs) The point that I was trying to make is that we hear people say, hey, people, you know, they don't go to hell for their sins. They go because they don't believe in Jesus. Well, that's not entirely false, but it's not exactly accurate either. We go to hell because our sins aren't forgiven by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. But nevertheless, it is our sins that are the dead weight around our ankles. Mm. That's why Jesus said, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, not depart from me, you who didn't repent and put your trust in me. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. Furthermore, we know that it's our sins that drag us to hell, because Jesus even talks about there's going to be degrees of hell. It would be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than for you. In other words, based on your knowledge, based on the sins you commit, the type of sins you commit, the repetitive nature of your sins, there will be degrees of hell, but it is our sins that are the mechanism that bring us there. The mechanism that saves us is faith in Jesus Christ. Mm. So nobody goes to heaven without faith, right? and everybody goes to hell because they're lacking faith, and the chief sin is just that, not believing in Jesus Christ. It's our sins that condemn, it's our Savior that saves. Amen, amen. Well, what about babies? Do you think unborn babies will be in heaven, grown to maybe full maturity? I mean, are they in heaven? i got to tell you, this is a subject that I get really heated about, because (laughs) I've heard a lot of people, they're Bible-loving Christians, that would say, well, the Bible doesn't really speak on the subject of babies who were aborted, miscarried, died at a young age. The Bible doesn't tell us anything, and that is just false. There are at least, at least 
26 different times, I believe we get a clear pointer in the Old and New Testament that babies who die go to heaven. And mm-hmm. you, I realize that there's some explanation required. Well, aren't yes. they born totally depraved? Yep. But here's the difference. Just like when Jonah, the descriptor that God gives, there are people in the city that don't know their left hand from their right. They're little kids. They don't know the difference between right and wrong. In other words, they're not at a level of accountability. Do they sin as a toddler? Yes, they do. But they do it willingly against God? No, they do not. Therefore, they have not accrued a sin debt. Therefore, Jesus takes babies to heaven because they do not have a sin debt. It is by grace alone, in Christ alone. But we need to recognize they go because they have not yet been accounted with sin until they reach not an age, but a level of accountability. So I would do a shout-out. If you experienced an abortion, you're going to see your baby in heaven. Mm. If you had a miscarriage, you are going to see your baby in heaven. Mm. If your child died at a young age, you are going to see your child in heaven. You've got God's Word on it. Amen. Amen. Well, I I must say, on page 170, you have a wonderful explanation of that. You give several scriptures. Jonah 4.11, Ezekiel 16.21, where the Lord calls the children of pagans, my children. Deuteronomy 139, Jeremiah 19.4, Job 3.16 through 19, 2 Samuel 12.23, and so forth. Friends, this is tremendous material. And we are going to be having Todd Friel as one of our featured speakers. What a blessing he will be. The complete conversation with Todd Friel can be yours by calling 1-800-652-1144. The material Todd Friel has been going over these past two days are expanded on in his book, Jesus Unmasked. This book can be yours for a gift of $15 or more. Call 1-800-652-1144. You can also order online, swrc.com. Pastor Larry Spargimino and James Collins are here now to look at some of today's headlines and how they look in the light of Scripture. In Matthew 24, at the beginning of his Olivet Discourse, the Lord Jesus Christ said, Take heed that no man deceive you. Jesus warned us that at the end of the age there would be great deception. To keep you informed on the deception in the world, We here at the Watchman on the Wall want to take some time to look at today's headlines. Our first story once again comes from Israel, where the world is struggling to understand the results of the Israeli election. On Sunday, June 13th, after four elections, the Israeli parliament approved a new coalition government ending Benjamin Netanyahu's 12-year tenure as prime minister and two years of political gridlock. Naftali Bennett, a religious conservative, and Yair Lapid, head of the centrist Yesh Atid party, convinced eight parties across the political spectrum to work together. The two men formed a coalition where Bennett will serve as prime minister and Lapid as foreign minister. After two years, Bennett and Lapid will switch offices. Jonathan Schnazer, Senior Vice President for Research at the Foundation for Defense of Democracy, said, The equivalent in Washington would be something along the lines of a party led by Donald Trump, a party led by Bernie Sanders, as well as a party led by Joe Biden, and maybe throw Rand Paul in there as well. 
This is really a cocktail of parties that really doesn't agree with one another about almost anything. The one thing that really did seem to bind them was their desire to remove Benjamin Netanyahu from power. For the moment, evangelical Christians are cautiously optimistic toward Bennett's leadership. Author and Israel expert Joel C. Rosenberg said, Netanyahu's the only Israeli premier that almost any evangelical knows. He is certainly the most respected and trusted. Even though evangelicals do not know much about Bennett or Lapid, trust can be developed because, above all, evangelicals love and support Israel unconditionally. They want the best for the Jewish state, regardless of who leads the country, but it will take time and a concerted effort, said Rosenberg. Rosenberg calls Bennett a protege of Netanyahu, serving at different points in time as his chief of staff, defense minister, and education minister. They both served in the same Israeli Defense Forces Special Forces Unit, and their ideology and policies are the same. Yair Lapid was also close to Netanyahu, once serving as his finance minister. Rosenberg labels him a centrist, not a radical left-winger. As Americans, we must continue to call for our representatives to support the nation of Israel and her people. President Biden has stated he believes Israel has the right to exist and defend herself. Earlier this month, he promised to secure funds to replenish Israel's Iron Dome after recent rocket attacks led by Hamas in Gaza. However, President Biden has said he would like to return to the 2015 nuclear deal with Iran. Should Iran be allowed to develop nuclear weapons, this would be a potentially dangerous situation for Israel, considering that they have previously called for Israel to be, quote, wiped off the face of the earth, end quote. Jill Rosenberg also said that it is notable that Secretary of State Anthony Blinken is the stepson of a Holocaust survivor. Rosenberg said, this guy understands how the Holocaust and anti-Semitism and the demonic hatred of the Jewish people can have an effect if it's not confronted and contained. The fragility of this newly appointed coalition remains to be seen. At risk could be the Abraham Accords, the peace deal signed with several Arab nations last year. Also, many believe it's just a matter of time before the new government is tested internationally. As Christians, we must continue to follow the command in Psalm 122, verse 6, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Our next story really brings a smile to my face. In a day where most athletes are anything but role models, American hurdler and sprinter Sidney McLaughlin is an inspiration. Earlier this month, McLaughlin gave glory to God after setting a new world record in the woman's 400-meter hurdles, saying her faith helped lead her to victory. McLaughlin, who is 21 years old, qualified for the Tokyo Olympics as she competed in the U.S. Olympic track and field 400-meter hurdles trials in Eugene, Oregon. A world record time of 51.90 seconds made her the first woman ever to compete the hurdle in less than 52 seconds. McLaughlin told NBC Sports after her victory, all the glory to God. Honestly, this season, just working with my new coach and my new support system, it's truly just faith and trusting the process. I couldn't ask for anything more, and truly it is all a gift from God. 
The trial was her fourth 400-meter hurdle in the season, and McLaughlin said that having that childlike faith and trusting that everything is going to work out is what helped her get through. She continued, I think I was growing into my own person, and I think the biggest difference this year is my faith, trusting God and trusting that process and knowing that he's in control of everything. As long as I put the hard work in, he's going to carry me through. And I really cannot do anything more but give the glory to him at this point. McLaughlin is very outspoken about her Christian faith on social media. I applaud her for her record-breaking achievement, but more so, I applaud her for publicly professing the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus once said, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. God will bless Sidney McLaughlin because she is not ashamed of Jesus' name. In other news, the San Francisco Chronicle reported earlier this month that the COVID-19 crisis has helped to move the United States and the world to a cashless economy. In a story titled, Cashless Economy, Our New Reality, reporter Carolyn Said described how the pandemic made paying with cards and phones widespread, and we got used to it. The article quotes a farmer named Joe Shermer who said, In the before times, more than 90% of farmers' market customers used cash to buy tomatoes, lettuce, and beans. That switched totally during the pandemic, with 90% using cards or phones to pay. Shermer went on to say, For a while, everyone was afraid of cash. They thought you'd get sick if you touch someone else's money. Shermer, owner of a 40-acre farm near Watsonville, California, sells produce at 10 local farmers markets, including San Francisco's Ferry Building. Cash used at the markets has dropped dramatically with most people preferring digital payments. Shermer's experience mirrors a nationwide trend. In addition to being quarantined and being forced to shop online, People were afraid of bills and coins during the pandemic. Many consumers now are continuing to use cards and phones for all purchases, even for low-ticket items like a candy bar or cup of coffee. The result, a dramatic acceleration in the transition to digital currencies. Swiping or inserting cards, tapping phone or watching screens, and using stored credit cards on websites made for seamless purchasing and it appears to have changed consumers' habits for good. According to online payment processor Digital Square, the shift away from cash usage in this past year would have taken nearly three years without the pandemic. Let me repeat that statement. According to online payment processor Digital Square, the shift away from cash usage in this past year would have taken nearly three years without the pandemic. Digital Square reported that its monthly transaction volumes grew by 86% from January 2020 to March 2021. PayPal, another digital payment company, saw its payment volume grow an astounding 50% in the first quarter this year compared with the same quarter in 2020, which was largely pre-pandemic. And the company thinks the trend will continue predicting a 30% growth rate for 2021 compared with last year. In other news, we have a similar story that comes to us from Seattle, Washington. Amazon, alongside Apple, 
has been one of the major companies developing new technology to allow for making purchases without cash or a physical credit card. They are expanding to its biggest area yet. The company is now testing its palm scanning payment technology in Whole Foods, starting with a single store in Amazon's home city of Seattle. The company has been using Amazon One payment technology in its Amazon branded stores in the Seattle area, including Amazon Go and Amazon Books. But the Whole Foods rollout will make the most substantial expansion of the technology yet. The company says that thousands of customers have already signed up with Amazon One. Amazon's palm reading starts at the grocery store, but it could be so much bigger. According to an Amazon spokesman, the palm scanning technology analyzes quote the minute characteristics of your palm, both surface area details like lines and ridges, as well as subcutaneous features such as vein patterns. End quote. The technology does this in order to identify a customer. This would allow them to use the biometric scan as an alternative method of checking out at the store instead of using. A credit card or cash. It is essentially using a palm print instead of a fingerprint to make purchases. Customers will be able to register their palms at key kiosks in the supported Whole Foods stores, allowing them to associate a physical credit card to that palm scan. After that point, the palm scan will serve as the physical card when checking out at the store. Amazon One will debut at the Madison Broadway Whole Foods in Seattle as an additional payment option for customers, with plans to expand it to seven other Whole Foods stores in the Seattle area over the next few months. Amazon hasn't announced plans to further build out the palm scanning payment system outside of the Seattle area. All of this, of course, assumes that. People are okay with Amazon building an ever larger database of biometric information linked to its customers, something that some experts have raised concerns about. That's particularly true given that Amazon's data is stored on the cloud rather than secured locally on a specific device. While this technology itself is not necessarily a bad thing, it is easy to see the trajectory the economy is moving toward. More and more companies are pushing for a cashless society. Credit and debit cards have already replaced cash for many. This new technology could lead to an even further delve into this movement. It seems if the trajectory continues, it will not be long before currency becomes a thing of the past. The Bible describes in the Book of Revelation a global economy and the mark of the beast, which will be used to control the global economy. People will not be able to buy or sell unless they take the mark of the beast. While this technology itself is not the mark of the beast, it does show that the technology and the mindset is moving in that direction. This technology is especially notable because it specifically marks your purchase based on your unique identity. If this kind of technology expands, it would be easy for the Antichrist to control a global economy. He could flip a switch and make it to where only those who are identified in a database as having taken the mark of the beast could make purchases. For centuries, people have questioned how the Antichrist could deny those that refuse to be marked the ability to purchase goods. Perhaps we are seeing the technology 
that will lead to this ability. Today in our Resource Center, we have three excellent items. The book, Jesus Unmasked by Todd Friel, and the DVD book combo, Blood Moons by Mark Biltz. Call 1-800-652-1144 and order your books and DVDs today. Watchmen on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.